And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, September 15th, a three-show Thursday for me. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you on this episode. We're going to take a look at when we could realistically give up on a player, young players that have struggled to make a positive impact at the plate up to, you know, maybe 400, 500 plate appearances combined in their big league career. You need to see something. So we'll dig into some players that have underperformed and try to set some expectations for the future. The sticky stuff is back. Eno wrote about that recently, so we'll discuss that piece just a little bit. We'll talk about some of the rule changes that actually went into effect after our episode from last Thursday. An important correction coming as far as how we were describing the tempo leaderboard as well. I noticed a few things while preparing for 2023 drafts already with some position eligibility that we should probably discuss. And I think there's a Christopher Morell question that we should probably answer. Interesting player. Played short stuff the other day. Playing them all over right now. But mm. we begin on a, a slightly negative note. When can we realistically give up on a player? The two names that inspire this question are Jared Kalnick and Joe Adele. And on a positive note, at least Joe Adele is getting chances to play in the big leagues right now, whereas Jared Kalnick is finishing his season in Tacoma. He did not come up and join the Mariners when rosters expanded at the beginning of September. They went with Taylor Trammell instead. So this is a common problem. You have these top prospects that come up, they get sent down, they come up, they get sent down. They don't deliver on high expectations right away, but they're still very young for the level. When can we start to say the ceiling's not what we expected and the floor is really low and, and we can't necessarily rely on these players to become as good as we once hoped. Well, I think one thing that both Kalnick and Adele have going for them is age. You know, if you start getting to, like, if they were 26 and they were getting this up and down treatment, I think that, you know, as fantasy players and maybe even as a major league teams, we would start to reconsider how important they were to the organization and maybe start using them in a part-time role. And... Uh, because if you are 26 and 27 and having these struggles, then you're at your peak age range. And there's not much more we can say, oh, yeah, aging curves say he's going to get better. Aging curves start saying you're going to get worse after that. So even if you you know figured something out, you would have likely have a short career. I call it the Ryan Ludwig uh, situation. Um, it's a little bit upsetting to me. And, you know, Mike Curlin, I think, was part of the reason why we're talking about this. He he was talking about Joe Adele the other day. And I think he was mentioning like, Joe Adele's not playing every day. The The Angels are acting kind of weird though. They've got David, they had Fletcher out there who's been hit on the hand and all he can do is bunt. He can't even swing. That This team is not playing for anything. Why are they running David Fletcher out there? He can't even swing. So uh, the fact that they are mostly playing Adele against lefties 
Am I reading that right? It is strange to not just have him playing every day right now, given the state of things. Learn as much as you can about the player. Give him as many opportunities as possible to start working on his flaws, continue working on his flaws, and go into 2023 with a greater amount of confidence about how he fits into your long-term plan, how he fits into that roster next year. Because they have to be, regardless of what happens with the franchise, whether or not they sell in the next few months or it happens in the spring or whenever that happens, you have to think they're going to try and contend for a playoff spot again next year as they're currently constructed, unless they go through some kind of let's trade everyone teardown. And I don't think you do that right now either. Yeah, that seems awful. Uh, you know, the thing you, you do when you're a bad team uh, and, you know, good teams do this, which is weird. Uh, I know I just said the bad team. Like think about the Red Sox when they're when they are bad, uh, when they were bad, they they were auditioning players, they were you know picking up guys, they were trying to find guys in the bullpen. They 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 claimed Garrett Whitlock, you know they claimed you know they they they're out there working. The, they claimed Nick Pavetta, you know what I mean? Like they were, we have we're bad, we have extra roster spots. You know the Giants, they actually try to keep roster spots extra so they can still do that when they're good. You know <laughs> like you know um, and uh, the Angels. I don't know what they're doing. Um, so, you know, you, you should play Adele every day. But uh, so the age is in a, still in Adele and Kalanick's side. And so what we did for this uh, to prepare a little bit was uh, a custom leaderboard on Fangraphs. And what we did was we, we limited the age to uh, under uh, 23 and under. Um, and the minimum plate appearance is to 500 because... Uh, I think that's a good number. We want a little bit of sample. You have to be, there has to be something going on for people to be like, oh, we're out. Um, and I think we did a good job because uh, when you sort in reverse order by the worst WRC pluses, the worst production of players under 23 with at least 500 plate appearances in the last 12 seasons, so since the beginning of 2010, so it's maybe 13 seasons. Jared Kelnick is third and Joe Adele is fourth. <laughs> mm-hmm. The only players that have been worse than those two in their first uh, 500 plate appearances uh, under the age of 20, uh, 23 or under, Yolmer Sanchez and Alcides Escobar. So that uh, that uh, is not a good sign. Right. Uh, you, don't, you don't like to hear that. Uh, but there are, there are some pieces of good news on this list. Yeah, and I think the... The thing that's probably popping into everybody's head is you throw out those two names, Yolmer Sanchez and uh, Alcides Escobar, is they don't hit the ball nearly as hard as mm-hmm. Kelnick and Adele can hit the ball. Well, they also made a lot more contact. But they're totally, but they're totally different, different player players. profiles. Yeah, yeah, yes. totally, totally. So I, I think that's that's where you can look at that and say, oh, okay. If you want if you want to worry about somebody who's an infielder with a similar uh, kind of a similar game right now, Geraldo Perdomo is someone to worry about comparing him to Elcides Escobar and Yolmer Sanchez. I think the key difference here, Perdomo is walking a lot more than those guys ever did, but similarly light production. You only see him if you drop the plate appearance threshold a bit lower. He's at 478 plate appearances, so he misses well, that's that. A, that's a good one to, to bring up because we were talking about, you know, getting the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, on the on the 3-0 show and, and maybe even on this one, we've been talking about signing a, a shortstop for the Diamondbacks for a while uh, because we're just not uh, we're not just not that super into Perdomo, but th- there are players of Kalnick and Adele's profile that struggled to begin their careers that are on this list. I've expanded to the top fifty, and if you want 
comps, uh, quote-unquote, for them. Javier Baez had an 82 WRC plus through the first 759 plate appearances with a 30% strikeout rate and a 4.5% walk rate. That sounds pretty familiar. Um, Byron Buxton, 32% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate, 84 WRC plus. Austin Riley, 30% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate, 86 WRC plus. Um, and then to a lesser extent, I think you could include Jazz Chisholm Jr. Um, and uh, maybe even a little bit of a, a taste of Nick Castellanos. However, Nick Castellanos did get good grades for his hit tool coming up. And I don't think that's true for Kelnick and Adele. So I think uh, we're talking about Riley and Baez and to some extent uh, Jazz Chisholm uh, when we're talking about being hopeful about those guys. However, of course, uh, those are three guys on this list. And here are some other guys who didn't make it work, uh, had high strikeout rates. Anthony Goes, uh, Jonathan VR, you know, he could scratched out a career, but, you know, I don't think he was as good as, as you're supposed to be. Adalberto Mondesi, I guess we're still waiting to see. Nick Franklin, Mike Zanino, uh, and then here's some other high strike guys, Travis Snyder, Jake Bowers, Travis Snyder. There's a blast from the past name. Akil Badu. We're, we'll leave the door open for him. So, uh, I don't know the fact that they've given th this many plate appearances to people with this high strikeout rate, uh, still leaves them as maybe a little bit less than a 50-50 proposition. If you're just looking at straight numbers of other guys in the last 12 years that have that have similar profiles, that have gotten 500 plate appearances under this age and been this bad, half of them worked out and half of them didn't? Yeah, give or take. I mean, I think the most interesting player that this search unearthed is actually Dansby Swanson. Hmm. Dansby Swanson for going 1-1, did not have expectations of a player that typically goes first overall in a draft. That was a year where there were probably, a, I don't know, five or six different players that could have went there, and people wouldn't have batted an eye about that. But he's turned into a much better player than expected, right? The 27 home runs last year, he's following that up with another 20 home run season this year, stealing bases, getting on base a ton, more swing and miss in his game than when he came into the big leagues, but I think the trade-off is well worth it. When he was running barrel rates in the 3 to 5% range, it looked like a bad first overall pick and a bad decision for Atlanta to go out and, and trade for him when they got him from the D-backs several years ago. So there's a lot going on with Swanson that I think is kind of why this is such a challenging question. A player can change a lot, especially when he gets into the big leagues as young as a player like Swanson did at 22 and Obviously, guys like Kelnick and Adele have been on our radar at even earlier ages. So I would be inclined to really consider the differences even between a 22 or a 23-year-old and a 20 or a 21-year-old making a debut in the big leagues. And I'd give those younger guys even uh, even more, uh, more runway to figure it out and to turn things around. I think that's where, the, that's where that Perdomo question in particular is is challenging. Like, I don't think most people who play fantasy are completely writing off Kelnick or Adele right now. You're getting them in a, in a buy low sort of price if you're playing in a, a keeper or dynasty league. That, of course, makes sense. But Geraldo Perdomo is also just 22 years old. And 
his first exposure to big league pitching last year, I think, was because of injuries. They didn't really expect to bring him up. He didn't play at AAA uh, other than three games last year. Only had 82 games at AA. And we're seeing a similar path for C.J. Abrams because of the, the lost pandemic season in the minors, the injuries he's dealt with, where you take this guy who's very advanced, you take away some playing time because of, of needs on the big league roster, and you're left with a more challenging where do we go from here sort of question than if that player had been given nearly full or completely full seasons at each stop in the minors. I'm just going to tell you something, man. I'm not going to talk about Perdomo anymore. like i'm swim moving past him maybe it's a blind spot maybe it's a blind spot i'm just saying like i'm not that interested in him um but i i do think you're right that there's this player type i think danzy swanson is 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 fascinating i think the way i would describe it is obviously good plate skills that needed to add power right and uh, for me, you know, I have two names when I expand this list. And I, I dropped it down to 400 to see if I could spot somebody. I think there's two names that pop out of this list for me. Gavin Lux and Luis Urias. Mm-hmm. Those are two guys that have shown good plate skills, but have lacked the power. I think Urias has started to tap into it. So we're starting to see it. Now, of course, there's an injury component for him that it's just been hard for him to stay on the field. But if there are two guys on this list with under 90 WRC plus before they turn 23 that look anything like Dansby Swanson, to me, uh, mathematically, uh, it's uh, it's those guys. But I guess I guess you're right. 10% uh, for Perdomo, walk rate, 20% strikeout rate, just missing the power. Stranger things have happened. I would rather hitch my uh, my boat to Luis Urias and Gavin Lux, though. If you have the plate skills in place and you want to add more power, what kind of evidence do you look for that you would con- you consider to be like flashes of power? Is it a certain number of, of hard hit balls? Is it the max exit velo number? Like where where do you turn to give yourself that that light in the distance and say, oh, no, there could be some power down there. I don't think you pay for it. You, you won't have to with Perdomo. A lot of players like this end up kind of cruising under the radar unless they have the the Gavin Lux levels of production in the minors. Again, guilty. I'm part of the the Gavin Lux hype train. I I was there. I was mm. I, I was I was the conductor perhaps of, of that train for for a few uh for a few months back in the day. So I I've I've made this mistake before, but what do you use to to really like look at a player whether it's Perdomo or someone else that has similar skills and say, I actually can see some power here and I would continue taking chances in the right format. Or if you're in the case of the Diamondbacks, you'd see enough to say, he's still our guy. We're not going to go out and, and make the, uh, the DVR dream of Trey Turner going to the desert come true. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, the easy answer for me is Max Exavilo because it just shows potential. I think Max Exavilo is raw power. Uh, you know, Perdomo has a 30, 40 raw power future, present future raw power grade on fan graphs and has, uh, had a one Oh three, three last year to one Oh four, seven this year. One Oh eight is traditionally, uh, kind of the line between good and bad or, uh, average and above average. Um, when you look at Luis Urias in the San Diego years where he hadn't been really showing the power. Uh, he didn't have the barrel rates, but he did have a 107 max EV and a 105.5. So at least 
uh, you know, hit the ball a little bit harder there. Uh, and and then I want to. I'm not have Gavin Lux in front of me just yet, but Gavin Lux's max EVs 1098, 105.6. So I just want to. I want to see someone at least get above that 105 level uh, to 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 kind of believe there's more there. And I think you've seen, you know, uh, Gavin Lux is getting pretty close to 110. He's been hovering around 108 uh, as a max EV, and his barrel rate, like, the, I think there, there is. I've been, I've been actually on the other side of the Lux thing uh, and been kind of uh, a detractor because I don't see the power. Uh, but uh, this is the type of person where, you know, he's 24 years old. His plate skills have matured. He could easily just decide, I'm going to do my A swings more. I'm going to swing harder this year. I might do some weighted bats in the offseason, whatever it is, and uh, get that max EV up to 112 or something, get that barrel rate up to 7 8%, and then have a, a breakout season that looks like 280-2010 at least. You know, that's that's in him. Uh, and it, it would be Swansonian. <laughs> uh, looking at the max exit velo leaderboard right now, I know we've talked about Cody Bellinger a lot on recent shows. 107.3, dude. <laughs> 231st oh, no. out of 246 qualified hitters like you are you're falling into oh, no. Nicky Lopez and Stephen Kwan oh, territory oh god no you're within no, a mile that's per hour awful. of He's those guys that bad I like Kwan oh, and Lopez as, as players they're just totally different, different players, players. Yeah. so different than what Cody Ballinger was that's this isn't me making fun of them like they have exceptional abilities to put the ball in play and Quan especially and Lopez because of his speed can be occasionally pretty interesting for our purposes, but oh, don't hang the, out there, Cody. Look who's at the bottom here of Max EV this year. Oh yeah. Uh, no, I am uh, 25. It's Yomer Sanchez. Oh yeah. No, just bring it all around, you know, just bring it back around. I Although, thought you were going to get the Perdomo being three from the bottom on the qualified list. That's right. Oh, you were going. Is he? <laughs> is Sturry Ruiz uh, near the bottom here? Uh, mm. This I that's the type of player I think he is. Honestly, to myself, I think uh, Sturry Ruiz belongs here with Yolmer Sanchez, David Fletcher, D. Strange, Gordon, Anderson Simmons, Michael Papierski. Travis Jankowski, I think that's what I think of Astoria Ruiz. Maybe I'll be wrong, but uh, he's falling right into it. What uh, I'm disappointed to see Spencer Steer down here. <laughs> he's probably disappointed to be down there too. But the thing about Max Exavilo that is true, and that people brought up to me is that you know the absence of it is not quite the same as the presence of it. You know what I mean? That's a good way to think about it because Jose Altuve is the best player. The all-around best player I see on the qualified list who's within – he's on the fold on the bottom of the screen. So if you look at the absolute bottom where Tony Kemp is, you can still see Jose Altuve if your monitor's mm-hmm. not tiny. He's up there. Yeah. He's at 108 even, right? There's not a lot of good players in that range. But also you have to you have to change – change. what I'm saying also is sample thing. So change your minimum to like 25 uh, and then – You'll you'll see some young players that have bad max exit velos that were supposed to have power coming up, and I'm just saying that you can't really count them out just yet. Um, I'm thinking of Spencer Steer. Uh, let me think of somebody else who's on this list. Um, yeah, like Michael Stefanik. Like, didn't he have power? Didn't he hit a bunch of power uh, bombs in the minor leagues? Yeah, it, it is funny how when you add in the the bigger 
pool of players, all of a sudden the the low end guys who qualify don't look quite as bad by comparison. Alberto Mondesi like has a one oh five seven. I don't know if I believe that. I think he's he's got more power than that. Anyway, on the plus side, where it's it's more it's it's always it's always meaningful when someone does it. That's the finding that Rob Arthur had. Um, is O'Neill Cruz, of course, number one, our new Stantonian god uh, who plays shortstop. Uh, the the siren song. The only reason that O'Neill Cruz won't work out is because Franchi Cordero is sixth. <laughs> Uh, so it's not oh some God. sort of silver bullet uh, situation, but I mean, come on, he can't be Franchi Cordero. That's that's not possible. Yeah, that can't be. That it's can't possible. Be. It, I, I love uh, him. I'm sorry. I love O'Neill Cruz. I'm just saying it's possible. <laughs> Joey Bart is, you know, 34th. That that speaks well to you. Were you were a little bit more positive about Joey Bart than I was. Royce Lewis. By the way, I've already tried this uh, in the one league where I think I could pull it off and it didn't work. So if anybody's listening, uh, in this offseason, if you can buy Royce Lewis, I would do it. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you should. Uh, I think as long as he comes back healthy, he's going to have a prominent role for the Twins in 2023 and for a long time beyond that. Could Everything we saw looks really good. Shortstop. <laughs> Definitely a possibility. Luis Garcia is an interesting entrant at the top of this list. The universe really is just a, a a giant circle because Jared Kelnick is up here at uh, tied for 39th in max exit velo. Oh, what did you have? A, do you have it with one BB? I brought it down to 25. It's got 67 batted ball events this year. Oh, there year. he is. Okay, for me, it's 41st for some reason. I don't understand? Oh, they're all tied, so it just ordered them differently for you. Okay, I moved him up in my head to make him sound better. Okay, all right, yeah, but he's tied with Cal Raleigh, who has been hitting bombs, mm-hmm. and Sean Murphy. That's interesting. If only he was a catcher. Too early to give up on on both Kelnick and Adele. If I had to try and say today who I'm more likely to roster next year, I still have more faith in Kelnick by comparison. I think the mm. reduced swing and miss at AAA when you compare their numbers at that level makes me believe more in the hit tool. The Fangraphs scouting grades on the hit tool also favored Kelnick all along. Whether the Mariners believe that and want to play him every day, but he's a lefty, Adele's a righty. Looking at the Angels' usage, that could be a problem for Adele as well. I'm not telling you if you believe in Adele to not take a late flyer on him, but I think if you're only going to take one of those players, it still seems more likely to me that Kelnick ends up being consistently productive than Adele if only one of them makes it. I'm a li- I'm still influenced pretty heavily by that Baseball Perspectives article that, that said that Kelnick may have had lower lower strikeout rates in the minors but hadn't closed his hole um and uh i'm still intrigued by uh, adele and i also feel like maybe adele fewer obstacles on that team it's not that, great that right now he's got not much of an obstacle at all but um this team could use adele <laughs> you know like the mariners are doing pretty good without Kelnick. So maybe they use him in a trade piece or, you know, maybe they just he's a maybe he's just an up and down guy for them, you know? Maybe he's depth. Whereas Adele, like the Angels need Adele. I they've got to figure this out and just play him the rest of the way. I think 
my belief is that in part because he's with the Mariners and Jerry DePoto will seemingly trade anyone. If they don't want to use him a lot, they'll trade him now while someone else is still very interested because if they use him as a part-time player and he doesn't get a lot better, they're missing an opportunity to and make Jerry their organization better. Trader, Trader Jerry. So. Trader Jerry. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did we answer the question, though? I do think that 500 was an interesting uh, number to sort at, you know? Uh, because when we were sorting at a higher number, like when we sorted at 1,000, uh, we didn't find any of these sort of breakout-type players. You know, they'd already broken out, right? Um, I think Javier Baez's 759 is kind of the high watermark for me. I, I, I think 800 plate appearances. I'd like to give a guy 800. If they were a highly rated prospect, I'm not... I'm not saying every prospect. I'm saying if there were a highly rated prospect that we were waiting on, I'd love to give him 800. That seems to me like a season plus. Yeah, because you might even use a player in a platoon role for two or three seasons to get to that number or parts of three different seasons. And then at that point, maybe you've seen enough. Because Adele's already at 511 and in part time, like you're saying, and I'm I'm not quite giving up on him. So. But if he comes up, if he if he gives you another 300, 400 next year and is and is just as bad, uh, I'm I don't see as much of a reason to to continue, you know, trying to roster him and stuff. Yeah, I think the bigger point is that it, this number used to be at least a thousand, and it's less than that now, as far as what teams will actually give a player. But I think based on more information that we have available, we're we're able to cut down on how much we need to see before we're ready to start moving away from players that had those lofty expectations. You wrote about it. The sticky stuff is back. It never like full, did it fully go away. Did it partially go away? And yeah, I think it's it's still a bit of a a debate. But I thought there was a particularly compelling chart because you were looking at it was spin rates um, by by month when the crackdown happened, before the crackdown happened, and we're still not at the the spider tack levels pre crackdown, but we're pretty close. You know, we're we're getting into that range where it's working for pitchers again. I think in concert with the ball being deadened this year, especially, and the humidors, like all of the all the factors that are in play here, it seems like a step too far in the direction of, of being too pitcher friendly, just slightly. It's the power in particular that we've been kind of going back and forth on. We've talked about the slugging percentage for the league being a tick below 400 throughout most of the season. I don't think we're way off. I think we're slightly off if that, but what do you make of what we're seeing now? I think we've talked about this being more like clear substances that are very difficult to detect 
on the uniform or possibly up in the hair. That's, that's been a, a long-standing spot for me where I'm watching guys. I'm like, come on, you're in your hair all the time. Why would you even why would you even mess with your hair? You're, you got other stuff going on right now. So what seems to be the the current approach that's helped pitchers get so much spin back with an alternative sticky substance? Yeah, we've even seen a person whose spin rate went down after enforcement and then who's got it back up. He's been checked on the field with the fingers through the hair and the umpire massaging him like this little, <laughs> you know, baseball after dark moment. And, uh, and, and they couldn't, he couldn't definitively say that there was anything different other than, you know, like how much hair gel is too much hair gel, you know, <laughs> how much sunscreen is too much sunscreen, you know? And so we're at a point now where I think they're just stuck enforcement wise. They, they have cut spider tack out of the game, I think. Because you can see the spin rates are not all the way back up. You can see, for example, I looked at the highest spin rate, four-seam spin rate seasons. Yeah, player seasons, basically, right? In, uh, in, the, in the TrackMan era. And um, the, the highest this season is 50th, right? So, you know, not quite at the top. And the second highest this season is 174th. So Zach Gallen has the second highest four-seam spin rate uh, this year among pitchers that have thrown 100 fastballs. And it's the 174th highest uh, of uh, of this sort of enforcement era. So I think they've cut spy attack. Also think about it uh, sort of in, 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 practically in types of use. Like if the one thing that anybody who's touched spy attack or pine tar knows is it's not easy to get off, you know? Um, and so... You know, even with I've heard some rumors of like baby oil and or hand sanitizer on the pants to like give you a little bit of extra help. Even then, your pants would be all brown, have just a big old brown smear wherever you're trying to wash it off every time. Right. And so I think that would be pretty obvious. And and if you had a hat that was like soaked in hand sanitizer, uh, you would smell like an alcoholic. You know what I mean? Like they would be like out on the mound from the fumes being in your face. I'll probably be like, "Yo, man, don't drink so much before you start." So, um, so I think what it is is hair gel. It's something a little bit more than bullfrog, maybe, because bullfrog was more on the level of a plus one hundred RPM. Spider tack was plus five hundred RPM, and what we're seeing now is something in between. So I do think there's been some engineering going on. There's been some some work that's they found some clear substance that's sticky that can be taken off pretty quickly. Um, and the problem is if it's a clear substance that can be wiped off pretty quickly, somebody in the dugout is not going to help. By the time they got to the dugout, they cleaned it up. They already saw the guy and showed their hand. So the only solution that I heard that made any sense was a fifth umpire that stood right behind the pitcher and like could intercede after they touched it and before they touched the ball. You know what I mean? Let me touch your hand now. No, you know, like not after you're done pitching. Let me touch your hand right now. That'd be good for pace of play. Oh my god. It would and it would be so awful. It was so weird looking. And like we're really gonna add an umpire just for this. So I don't I don't think that and, and one last thing I couldn't put in the piece uh for various reasons, but my understanding is they cannot enforce a suspension based on things that happened after the fact. So Video is not on the table. Hmm. Uh, 
taking a ball and 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 saying x pitcher threw this and it has substance on it it's not on the table because suspensions arise and this is my understanding is suspensions arise from umpire action on the field you understand the difference like we don't get a lot of suspensions we're like oh we looked at the video and we think last night player did this or this Right. Now, the, they review things where a suspension Aha. has already been issued. The umpire says something, the mm-hmm. umpire kicks them out, and then they can review it. But there has to be an umpire action on the field. It has to come from something that happened on the field. So, yeah, a fifth umpire would be the answer. And uh, I think baseball is happy maybe to have cut spider attack level out. And, uh, and 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 maybe at stake was, you know, 1% or 2% of strike point, strikeout points, right? It's 1% or 2% of strikeout. So if only one or two percent of strikeout rate is on the table, they're trying to cut five percent, four percent. So maybe they cut a half percent or a percent out with spider attack, and the rest they're going to attack with uh, the pitch clocks, and if if needed, moving the mound back. Right, or tweaking the humidor settings again. I guess that's always a, a possibility if they want to change how the the ball responds to contact they could always well, i mean that's yeah that's that more on the power side but i think on the on the strikeout side so i i think you know there are certain high profile names um that you can sort of read between the lines who've been at the forefront of this that have you know maybe had their uh their performance go up and down around uh enforcement um, that, you know, guys that might go one, you know, among the top three pitchers next year, <laughs> should I just name him? Yeah. Yeah. Garrett Cole. I mean, he's talked about it. He's talked about it in postseason things, you know, and if you're nervous about Garrett Cole and, you know, added enforcement next year, cause he's been right his back a little bit. It's not back to spider tag levels. I don't think you should be because I don't actually think that there's anything the teams, the, 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 the uh, baseball can do that they have the stomach to do. You know, do you really think that they're going to add a fifth umpire? No. I don't think so. And if they add a guy in the dugout that's like supposedly looking around, they have guys in the dugout. Do No, hey, they have guys in the dugout now that come in and make sure you're not uh, stealing pitch signs. Did you know that? They have somebody. They never they, really notice who that person is on TV. I mean, I well, guess if, you started to, if they were randomly in there. I don't know, during a shot, like maybe if you watch that team all the time and say, wait, I don't know who that person is. Because if you watch a team on a regular basis, you get familiar with the random coaching staff and support staff people that are yeah. around the dugout. You're even, looking even for like a, translator a blue for a polo shirt with an MLB insignia on it. <laughs> that, that would be the giveaway, yeah. Yeah, those guys, uh, I know I've seen them in the, in the uh, clubhouses checking the mudding. Uh, I've seen them in the clubhouses near... Uh, sort of technology centers where they're like looking at pitches and stuff. Um, and apparently they sweep the dugout two or three times a game to make sure that nobody's stealing signs. Uh, so that exists. So you could just ask that guy, hey, stay in the dugout a little bit longer and see if any pitchers are loading up. Um, I just don't think that you'll catch anything because the pitchers know that getting on and off the field, they can have their hands touched. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to be doing anything in the dugout. They want to have, they want to get to the field of play with whatever their substance is somewhere on their body, not touch it anytime except right before they pitch and then get it off before the check. So I don't think having someone in the dugout is really going to help. Is this person someone who has 
played the game at a high level before who is a known cheater? Or is this a person who's more like Hugo, the health inspector from Bob's Burgers, where it's just someone who's a stickler for rules, but also wouldn't be fully adept at, at leveraging the well, rules. Had to not his been a cheater himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just someone who really likes to enforce things, but isn't actually a cheater. It's like, I feel like you'd, you'd want, you'd want the craftiest of cheaters. <laughs> yeah, you want there. like a former cheater. In that yeah. Position. You want some like eighties, nineties, snotball specialist to be the one that, Oh yeah. Like, it's someone along those lines is who yeah. you'd want because yeah, they would ne- think Negro they would think about there, every who's, possible who's thing. Who is the other spitballer? Oh. Was it Negro a spitballer? Was a knuckleballer, no. right? Who am I thinking of? He's a knuckleballer. Who's a spitballer? Everyone knew he's a spitballer. He even admitted it. He like wrote a book about it after he after he retired. <laughs> he's in the <laughs> Hall of Fame, dude. Gaylord Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gaylord Perry. That's it. Gaylord Perry. You need people like that. Hanging out in the dark. Who are hey, so immersed hey, in the hey, world what's of Perry cheating. doing here, guys? <laughs> oh, he might yeah. be looking for the wrong things, though, because he was a spitballer. So he's looking for spin reduction, you know? <laughs> but he would certainly spot the baby oil. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It takes, <laughs> takes one to know one, I think, at a level uh, like this. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to the, the rule changes just for a moment. Um, There's a, a little bit of a tweak made to the StatCast tempo leaderboard that we discussed last week. And the original data we were looking at did not measure tempo the same way that the pitch clock works. Mm-hmm. The tempo leaderboard as it previously was, I believe, was time from the pitch being released to the time that the next pitch is released. And that's not how the pitch clock works. So what that did was it created a much larger group of players who would seemingly be too slow. They have since added uh, a, a translated version of that. And when you look at the leaderboard now, you can see that a much smaller group of pitchers will be forced to make significant adjustments. But the I think the general thrust we were talking about last week is that relievers were taking a lot longer than starters as a group. And they are still going to be largely the group that needs to make more changes and will be probably the most impacted by the implementation of the pitch clock. Yeah, I put uh, minimum 100 pitches, did the timer equivalent sort, and about 100 pitches out of 580 uh, will, uh, you know, had a pace this year that is worse than the clock uh, will be next year. So um, that's still a fair amount of players. You're right. Most of them are relievers, the most prominent of which are Roldis Chapman, Devin Williams, Jonathan Lewisaga, Kenley Jansen, and Giovanni Gallegos are the are the slowest. But Ryan Presley is slow. Um, you know, there's some older pitchers that are trying to hold on to their velocity, but even Ryan Helsley is slow. Uh, those guys will Craig Kimbrell is slow. This is a bad time to have to adjust something for Craig Craig. Craig Kimbrell, but Pete Fairbanks is on this list. Uh, in terms of starters that we should worry about at all, 
Um, there's only a few names, but they are high profile names. And I'm trying to get to them where I know Shohei Otani. Corbin Burns, Shohei Otani, and Michael Kopech were three that I remembered. That's that's it. But Shane Boz, I I I lowered the, the things to get everybody, but Shane Boz is is close. Uh JP Sears is a little bit slow. Yeah, Corbin Burns and Michael Kopech. That's about it. Uh I would say and, and Luis Garcia and you Darvish. Those are uh that's um it's not something that I would actually, I, I think I did say something that I, I would have this open uh, during draft season. I'm going to take that, I'm going to walk that back. I, I think this is something more like that you would get all, you know, upset about and think about too much, right? Um, the only one that, that bothers me is a little bit of Shohei Otani. Uh, I'm glad he's throwing the sinker because if Shohei Otani next year was just throwing the four seam with poor shape, and lost like a tick and a half because he had to work faster. Um, he could actually be hit 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 harder. But with the sinker, I think uh, Shohei is going to be a pretty good pitcher next year. Yeah, you may find that too. Having a full off season to train, and if some of these guys are on pitching staff they, they that have guys that coming. work fast, like they can they talk to each other. Team can give them like a game plan for how to be better prepared for it, and. I don't just know. practice it in the off season, at least you know. Yeah, right. Your side sessions and everything you do, you're gonna you're gonna figure that out, and maybe you lose a little velo. Like that seems very likely for some of these extreme guys. But if you've got four or five pitches and you command things well, it's probably gonna have a reasonably small impact on on the starters, especially. Here's uh here is one pivot I might actually make, um, given this news. I don't think I want to have a lot of old relievers next year. Yeah, it's not I something you want generally. But. I generally don't like old relievers anyway, but yeah. That, uh, but I've had some like you know I've done, like I have some Aroldis Chapman shares this year, and I had some Craig Kimbrell shares this year because you'll you'll find that there'll be you know Kenley Jansen, there'll be a guy who falls, who has a job, and you're like, hey, the only thing that's wrong with him is he's old. Um, maybe I would rather pick someone that the pitching plus model likes and is young, um, you know, ra- you know, rather than somebody like Kenley Jansen who has to shave five seconds off of his off his pace. Hmm. Ryan Presley does he count as old? He's, He's really close. put together a nice skill season. He'll be thirty four next season though. But he already had some velocity loss this year, and if he has to shave off three seconds. I think I don't think that Ryan Presley is going to be a fave of mine. Yeah, if I can catch him as a third reliever, but he goes, he's going to go more first second, right? Yeah, I think he's so. going to fall a little bit. He's going to fall a little bit. He's not going to be a, a legitimate. I don't think he's going to be a legitimate first closer. Uh, the question is, do I want him as a second closer, and maybe if I wait, or as one of your last closer one options if. You know, things just breaking away where the first seven or eight are off the board. Is he still in that circle of trust? I'm going to be nervous. <laughs> That's more like when this year, uh, in my worst situation, I ended up with uh, Giovanni Gallegos as my closer one. And I felt like I had messed up. Yep. Well, you didn't mess up as bad as my, my Kittredge-Melanson combo. <laughs> Seems so smart at the time and didn't spend that much. Like, oh, there's a cheap 50 saves. Yeah. Big brain. Or five. Or five. Or or you punted the category and you might not cash because of it. 
idiot. Yeah. Oh man, sorry. Yeah. Let's say it's. You, I, that's that's my I, own stupidity right there. I, I, I didn't I, I play it that way in most crying. things. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's what I'm going to tell myself as I as I try to <laughs> pony up another big entry for the same league next year. Like, all right, we're not making that mistake again, are we? We'll make a different one. <laughs> yes, we'll make a new mistake. That's the that's the motto for 2023. We will make new mistakes this um, season. The uh, also we we talked a little bit. I think we 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 did a good job. It just turned out a lot of those rules came in right after we talked about it. <laughs> we didn't uh, know that was going to happen quite like that. No. And so when we talked about the shift uh, rules, I had kind of assumed uh, from what I'd heard behind the scenes that uh, the pie slice rule was going to be the shift rule. Um, and that would have helped people who hit up the middle. Uh, but the rule as it is now uh, that, that will keep... Uh, you know, two defenders on each side uh, and in the grass. I think people are going to overvalue what that means for left-handed pull hitters. Do you think they're going to think those guys bounce back more than they do? Yes, because when they did this in the minor leagues, Babip didn't change much. And if you think about it, uh, one, the, the big, the big sort of advancement of the shift, the reason why the shift works so well is because you put the second baseman really close to the first baseman, but far, you know, f- like far in the infield. Like think about what it looks like, right? What does the extreme shift looks like? You've got a second baseman who's in the grass. So making that guy walk two steps forward is not changing that much, right? You still got the second baseman in that kind of ground ball, pull ground ball alley. And the other part of it is you put your shortstop standing on second base. So when the lefty pull hitter hits a, a, a line drive up the middle, shortstop's still going to be on second base catching it. And when that lefty pull hitter hits a, a pull ground ball, uh, you know, in that sort of pull alley there, that ground ball alley, the second base is still going to be standing there. So I think the pie slice rule had a chance to actually change something. I think this rule will change very little. I'm going to examine it a little more closely and we'll probably talk about it on a future episode just to see if there's any particular type of pull hitter that might do better than others. If there's someone that has like a a hot spot that will finally be available, but you might be right. It might be a a smaller adjustment than people are going to anticipate. There there maybe are some, I think about like Joey Gallo where they're really powerful ones where they've played like Manny Machado against him in the outfield, like, almost as a more as a fourth outfielder than an infielder. And they've made outs, you know, way out in the outfield. Um, so there might be some extreme ones, but I would just say like, I don't think I would sort for, let me do this real quick. Um, you know, s- pulled ground balls. You can do this on the splits leaderboard on fan graphs uh, where you just, uh, you take ground balls and then you, uh, you go to batted balls and you can do pull percent on ground balls. And that's Salvador Perez, Max Muncy, Luke Voigt, Tyler O'Neill, Anthony Rizzo, Jose Altuve, Cody Bellinger, Kyle Schwarber. Like, I'm not going to just be like, hey, let me give 20 points of batting average to all these guys. Uh, I think this group will still have a fairly low batting average. 
All right. Well, more to come on that, but uh, keep that in your back pocket just as far as an adjustment that some Sal people might Perez make that you count. don't want to make. He's a righty, yeah, but the other well. ones are good. <laughs> you know, and Luke Voigt is a righty too. I, I'd focus mostly on Muncie, uh, Rizzo, uh, Bellinger, Schwarber types. Uh, Schwarber a righty? No, he's lefty. No, he's definitely a lefty. Those are the those are the guys that everything everybody will be hot after, and I think maybe overvalued something to think about for sure one more question to get to as we go uh, christopher morell is a pretty fascinating player because he didn't put up great numbers in the minors wasn't really on the prospect radar before this season came up played pretty well initially and is still getting a decent amount of playing time for the cubs the final numbers this season if the season ended today it'd be a 242 312 430 line 13 homers 10 stolen bases. He's been caught six times, 374 plate appearances, but it's a power speed combo with a batting average that won't hurt you. And there's some reason to believe that maybe the K rate could get a little better than where it is right now as he gets more experience at the big league level. Talking about a guy that only played nine games at AAA last season was actually returned to AA to begin this year. How do we, how do we kind of set expectations for him? Because as uh, one of our, Viewers on YouTube, Bove wrote, there are some things that are really good in the underlying numbers. The 12.6% barrel rate that was through August, nice max EV, multi-position eligibility. The K rate's a bit of a red flag, and the caught stealing rate is a little high. But there's good, and there's bad, and there's not necessarily the typical track record through the minors that, that gives us a good understanding of what exactly he's likely to be as a player. Yeah, the shape of his season is going to create some some recency bias that I think may offer opportunity for players um, because, you know, Christopher Morell's May, we all remember, 283 average, uh, 147 WRC+, plus, 878 OPS. Um, I guess OPS tells a story. 878 in May, 815 in June, 724 in July, uh, 575 in August, 584 in September. His second half in general, 198 average through 265 OBP, 347 slugging. That's going to leave a lot a bad taste in people's mouths. I've seen, uh, you know, Cubs fans discuss how he was just a hot starter and there's nothing else there. But I agree with you that you know there's a potential here for a little bit more contact as he gets used to the uh, as he gets used to the league. I don't know how to pair that with just the fact that his strikeout rate has only gone up over the course of the season, really. Uh, and he's hovering over 40% right now for his last 50 games. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a interesting conundrum for me. I think what I want him for mostly is uh, dynasty leagues in case uh, you know, a 24-year-old with his second taste of the big leagues comes back and strikes out 26, 27% of the time with a good walk rate, capitalizes on that power, and gives you an 800 OPS next year at multiple positions with stolen bases. I mean, that's worth it. In terms of like, you know, making him my starter at any position in 12-teamers, I think the flaws are enough that I don't want to do that. In a 15-teamer, I'd love, love to start the year with him on my bench, I think. Because if he does work out, he's a guy 
who can like especially in NFBC, he can cover you at a bunch of positions and he would be such he would be a guy that would allow you to have another pitcher on your bench which is huge so i love the multi eligibility i love some of the 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 markers for power uh, the strikeout rate just increasing over the course of the season is concerning yeah, I think that's the young player going through an adjustment phase. And I think that adjustment can be more harsh when you haven't seen a lot of AAA pitching on your way to the big leagues. So, I mean, with Morrell, a 12.3% barrel rate as we record on Thursday, that's, that's tied good. for 33rd among qualified hitters. That's Christian Walker territory, Pete Alonso mm-hmm. territory. Adelis Garcia's on here at a similar barrel rate. I think there's some some actual profile similarities between those two players. And Morrell has a little bit better uh, sense of the zone. Yes, I think that gives me a little more confidence too and he got to the big leagues at a much younger age than Garcia did. What do you think his price will be? Do you think he'll be he'll cost like a starter? Like people will will buy him as a starter? I was trying to think of a pop-up guy in the pool with power and speed and more to like than dislike and some question marks. I landed on Akil Badu as oh. far as like how people will treat him. Different kind of player, so, sort of different kind but of player. Maybe but maybe with Akil Badu actually having just happened, like I bet you that comp's not going to be the first time that comes up. And 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 if that happens, I think that might reduce the price on Morel. Like I think Akil Badu might reduce the price on on Morel, even though Badu is a little bit older. No, was he? He was just a Rule Five guy. He just wasn't old. Yeah, but he's a, about the same age. He was a righty with some question marks, similar question marks. Yeah, Badu is a lefty. Oh, okay. Morel's a righty, so I don't know. I'm just uh, I fringe top 200 is probably where he'd go at the high end. I could see Morel hopefully falling more to that 250 300 range. I don't know if, I don't know if it's going to be I'm a little bit more in on 250 300. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're picking the 200, you're still picking a starter. I think. Yeah, that's generally where I am. I, I thought Badu was interesting. I didn't really have him a lot of places. If Morel follows that price, that's probably where I have to go. But if he's somebody you can keep in a dynasty league at a relatively low cost, I'd be more inclined to keep him than to send him back into the pool because the versatility gives him a lot of ways to contribute for the Cubs next year, even if they add some players. So thanks a lot for that question, Bove. As always, you can send us questions either by dropping them in the comments section under this video on YouTube, or you can email us ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening.